I was feeling for a long time and hearing for a long time that newspapers were dying. And and what it really meant to me was that I, I would lose some newspapers and all my pay was based on the number of newspapers I had and how many subscribers they had. So it was it really, really affected me yeah. pretty immediately. But what was the kind of atmosphere that affected me immediately was that, that the people in, in the administration began to get scared. And so they started putting pressure on me in a way that I hadn't had before. That is, they would say, you have too many words. Well, I've always had too many words, you know, it did not, you know, and I, so I, I felt less accepted by them and less backed by them than I, than I had previously. And then you always change, your editor always changes. And, and at times I had wonderful ones who were, you know, perfectly behind me. And, uh, so I think I started to feel that I don't know what I think about money. I mean, it's like, if I had thought, I would have thought I was still making money. Good grief. You know, don't worry about this, but I quit. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't the, the pressure or the stress of having to do it every single day. Well, you don't really, it's really isn't every single day. I mean, you're a little bit ahead mm. of yourself mm-hmm. always. Um, it's strange that I didn't feel it, it as a tremendous pressure. So that wasn't it. It was just, I, I was, I was getting this kind of feedback that I wasn't used to getting. I was being criticized for something that was always accepted before, that I was very yeah. wordy. And my strip was about words and about playing with words. And if that began to be less charming to people, then I was not happy. No consideration of maybe that being a sort of, I guess, a new challenge in a sense, right? To, to make it, sh- yes. Yeah. I guess I just didn't see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the first day that your, I don't know if retirement, that's the word that I saw yeah. kicked around, but the first day that retirement kicks in and you don't have that daily strip to worry about, what, what does that day feel like? Yeah, and it's very strange because it's so long ago. I think that the more you're away from it, the more you miss it. Because then you start to think, this was such a big part of my life that I looked at things. How would they work in a cartoon? How would this thing that Bush said or Reagan said, how could I play with it and and make it funny as well as political? And I think I miss that a lot. In the sense of day-to-day life, everything that you're experiencing is kind of filtered through the strip. Yeah, through the strip. It's it's what does Sylvia think of this? Yeah. I'm stopping because I'm I'm thinking about what it's like. After I finished doing the strip or it was over, I did a blog. And I in the blog I talked about kind of the same kinds of things that I talked about. Yeah. Uh in the strip, but I wasn't doing the drawing. The drawing was a lot of fun because I would because I didn't have a lot of movement in the drawing. That wasn't my my thing, you know, that my Someone would get up and, you know, and fly and put a cape on. But she had things in her house, and and the things she had, I changed all the time. Mm. I mean, it had no relationship to reality. So in one panel, there would be um, a photo of, you know, of a flying goose, and the next one it would be a dinosaur. And, and, and so I, I changed things. I made movement out of that. In order to keep yourself entertained, to but keep also it fresh. to keep it fresh, to keep it looking interesting to yeah. people, because you you have really a talking head there, yeah. and and I had to make her do something. I mean, I felt that her talking was 
was good enough play, had enough play in it to keep that interesting. But I needed something that was visual because, you know, she never stood up. But I had different visuals where she would be, she would be in the bathtub. She'd be talking to her daughter who wanted to, to get in there. She'd be in the bar talking to Harry. She'd have a friend over. She'd talk to someone on the phone. She'd listen to an answering machine and talk back to it. So in that way, there was movement, but it's not the classic kind of movement. Was it something that could only work as a comic strip? In a sense, you know, it sounds like you were sort of going out of your way to make it more visual, that it wasn't necessarily incredibly visual in and of itself. Well, I, I was always, I was an illustrator. And I mean, I liked, I liked drawings and I, and I liked to make the drawings, I like to make them different. And when you do a cartoon strip, you really are supposed to make it kind of the same, yeah. except that there's some movement yeah. in it. But I, I was just thinking that after I stopped doing it, I started, I, I don't know why I, I started this, but I, I found out that there was a, a class at a center, and it was from Goodman Theater, and it was aimed at, at seniors, and, and so it was called Generations, and they sent a really, they, they sent good teachers, and they would open up the class, and then it would go for six weeks, stop for a little while, and go again. At the end of the class, people would do a little, let's see, five-minute story, and then it would be voted on, you know, who who was the best one. And then they'd go in either, they'd do it in front of that group, and people would come from outside to hear it. Or well, a couple of times went to Owen Theater in the Goodman, which is their tiny theater. There wasn't outside people there. It was us listening to us. So there would be maybe four people who came from different centers. Yeah. And that started me thinking about storytelling. And so that's what I got interested in. You were a bit of a ringer in that, though, in that, you know, you've been you've been doing a comic for so long. Well, they, but they, the, the idea is there, yes, I, I, I feel that way, actually. Yeah. But everybody had their life story. I mean, that's the point yeah. that we're all older. And so everybody had a, had a story and they would pick something that would bring out that idea that that you had a story, yeah. and and you know you'd you'd write it down, and people would critique it, and um, it was pretty. It was it was pretty great, and and then um, I started to meet people in the class, and and you you start to know them, and I I have a whole um, narrative of how I approached this woman who I thought was really good. Our stories have so much in common, even though she's a Pentecostal and I'm a Jew. I have a narrative of how this happened. And she says to me, you came up to me and said, let's write stories together. You know, just like flat out. I saw something in her stories that was akin to mine. And so we would just write on whatever subject they gave us. We were able to write about it. How do you write a story with someone? Well, you, you write it and then you come together and then you see, you know, what would make these stories better. But you are telling your own story. Yeah. And that's different than what you had been doing. I mean, obviously, Sylvia's a piece of you, but you're filtering it through a, a different character. Oh, yeah. She she is a, a definitely a very different character yeah. than I am. I mean, much more brash person. June is much more like me than Sylvia is. Yeah. The other wonderful thing that, that happened is that people would, they would send ideas to me. They were always totally wrong. I mean, it's like... They're for, reading, for the strip. For the strip. They're reading it and reading it. And they do not know what in the world I am actually saying or interested in. Then a friend of mine who I work with, he's a designer, and he's a, he has a, a cousin who's 80 years old. 
he said to me, Cousin Bob thinks he can give you ideas. You know, and I, I thought, I'm not going to yell about this and say this never works. Okay, let Cousin Bob send me something. Well, Cousin Bob was, an, you know, very intellectual. He was reading The Guardian. He was reading papers that I was not looking at. And he would just send me stories, that he can, eccentric stories, you know, that somebody... Someone thought of something to do, something really weird, like like the Brits do, you know, some yeah. wonderful, crazy idea. And it worked. Not all the time, but he would send me things. But it was the only person he was who could send me something that would, that I could see how to change it, how to play with it. He would send you something and that would inspire a strip? Yeah. He would send me a news clip. That's what it was. Yeah. Something, you know, you know, a, a Brit dresses up as a toad and starts a, a group of toads to play rummy. I mean, you know, it was like... Is that was a real like, example? No, it's not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's all I can think of. It. And the other thing he would do, and it's very like this particular family, he kept a record of everything he sent me and what percentage of those were used in the strip, which was yeah. I also loved because it was so neurotic. At what point does it occur to you that you really do want to sit down in earnest and tell and, your story? And write. Yeah, I think it and was... And write by yourself. Yeah, and um, I, I think it was the, the class yeah. that suddenly occurred to me. I mean, I always was interested. You know, I would join classes. This was the only class that took, because there was a payoff at the end that you would perform, and I think I liked that. I mean, I'm not so devoted to it. And then I had the book. The book was took up a lot of... A lot of my time. I think, um, I, I would say it was an accident. I, I think it was, I, I say it was a computer accident. I sat down and I put my childhood address in Google and, and there, there was the street. Into street view. And, and a lot of the street view. I could move it and see the whole block. Well, you're from Chicago. Yeah. You visited or been past it, surely at some point. No. No. No, because the neighborhood was I say destroyed because all the little businesses went out and that changed the character mm. of the neighborhood. And it was um, after the Second World War, people had a little bit more money. They weren't going to stay there where they lived in these tiny yeah. apartments. For a while, I, I because I know some people who live there now, a friend of mine teaches in that area. And they said to me, you know, it was really wonderful for a very short time mm. because we we could get some really nice houses for a reasonable amount, yeah. because people left. Then it turned into something which is a ghetto. And it became different and not safe, and, and not having any of the charms that that old neighborhood had. It's like I didn't even have to imagine it. I saw my building. I mean, one part of the building was, was where wealthier people lived, and they, they had two, two bedroom apartments. And then we lived in the courtyard. And, and that was um, one bedroom. And the children, I mean, if there was a child, then they slept in the dining room. The dining room became something else mm -hmm. at night. And I, I really just, once I saw the street, I just started remembering things. Mm. Now, I can't swear to the, because I also got carried away. I mean, I was just thinking about it the other day. Because I could remember what people said, and then I suddenly had the, the desire to make them say something else, you know. So, and and I used some kind of language that was never used by those people. It was much more raw. 
yeah. raw language. Whereas these people were, I mean, maybe they spoke this way when they weren't in front of the children, but I never heard them say these words, which I gave them. I mean, just in a, in a little a little piece of the story. You can see I'm worried about it, that I shouldn't have done that. How many of them are actually around anymore? Oh, well, of course, if we're realistic about it. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get mad at you. <laughs> no, they're not going to. No, but I feel that I hurt them in that way. No, they're not getting mad. They are dead. <laughs> so, in one, one family, I changed their name because I was so, I remember the daughter so well and, and how they tried to keep her, keep her safe. In, in that, I think, sexual way until she got married. And and so that meant that they gave her the bedroom. You know, and of course, it wouldn't be polite to say, and, and where are you people sleeping? You know, are you in the living room or are you in the dining room? My mother and I would go up there because when they got ready for a party, I don't know, this, the idea of the difference between people who have more money. They're just, their habits are wildly different. We'd go upstairs and they'd be wearing robes. We never heard of a robe. And my mother said, well, when are you getting dressed? We're all dressed underneath. So they had all their lingerie on underneath and they were all clean and made up. And all they had to do was take this robe off and put a dress on and they were, they were ready to go. And we were entranced you know, being allowed to see them prepare in this way. When you changed the things they were saying, that you were staying true to them or that you were sort of connecting with some sort of deeper truth there? Or were you just kind of projecting something onto them? If it was a few years later, they would have said that. Okay. Because I have two women talking uh, about this girl that they protected. And she's in her in her baby carriage. And she wasn't because she was already older then. And she says something like, where are my boobies? Well, she's not going to say that, but it's it's like she was very sexual. And that's how I showed that. It was almost like the id. Yeah, right. It was my, <laughs> somebody's id was in there. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be a, a nostalgic person? No, they, I, I consider myself to be a person who tells stories. Yeah. It's not nostalgia. And somebody said to me the other day, well, nostalgia is in, and I thought, not what I do. What's the impulse to check out your street on Google? I have no idea. I yeah. mean, just there must be I, a little bit of tinge of nostalgia, or at least but, curiosity. Or just like, well, what does it look like now? Yeah. Because I wouldn't go to that neighborhood. I would be afraid. And I'd get lost. That would be for sure. So I might have wondered, what does it look like now? Mm-hmm. Because I see it so, you know, I, I, I see those stores so clearly. And it was beautiful. Um, there, it's the Gar- Garfield Park Conservatory. It's, you know, the beautiful greenhouse, yeah. huge. And the neighborhood was pretty, was pretty nice. Yeah. And I was a Girl Scout. We never heard of what comes before Girl Scout. Uh, brownies. <laughs> we never heard of brownies. We just heard of Girl Scouts. I, even then, I, I would go to the, I forget what the name of it is, but a, a beautiful structure. And they had a stage there. Yeah. And I, I would go and, I would do plays. And I don't know where I got this idea, except that my family was did performance in a way. My father liked to sing, you know, sort of funny songs. And he was a good dancer and a good talker at the time when men didn't talk very much. Hmm. And, um, a tour. Yeah. And, and he was funny and kind of sexy and sly. And my mother was beautiful and funny. She was the wit. So I... They would dress up for Halloween. 
you know, so I, I saw that this was acceptable in an adult situation. It was less common then than it is now for Yeah, right, for adults, adults to, to be silly up. in that yeah. particular way. When do you start drawing? I always drew. As soon as they saw that I drew. It, it, it's in. It's really in the family. My grandfather made that lamp. Oh wow! He was. He worked for Pullman Cars, and he was a cabinet maker. So that they did that. You know, they drew, they carved, and my mother could draw too a little bit. But he was the the one. They got excited when they saw that you. That, were yeah, creative. that I. Yeah, that I liked to draw. There yeah. was no. Um, desire to stop me from doing that. That is such a strange impulse that some parents have. Yeah, like to stop oh, doodling. What what will what will happen to her if she <laughs> she gets hooked on this? It's like it's heroin, you know. Worse, she'll yeah. never get a good husband, you know. So uh, people would buy would, and then of course, then everybody knew what I I needed for a gift, you know. Mm. So I was loaded down with pencils and pens, and, yeah, and colored paper and, and paper, and yeah. and my father, who was always in financial trouble, would buy me just outrageous gifts. You know, like a whole dollhouse that had all the furniture in, inside that he bought at the Museum of Science and Industry. Mm. And they just liked that. They liked seeing things. Although I don't know that their design of their house was anything unusual. But this idea that I have that I can put anything up, I, I, I think it has to come from them. Yeah. I mean, you were saying before that you've got these, I want to say they're almost like scenes. They're collections, but you've also, they're just corners in your apartment that are that I make something out of. Yeah. You know. When do you make that transition? Or, or when do you discover comics? When I discovered feminism. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, isn't that odd? <laughs> it, it's, it's something. Um, I, and those two things were well, connected I, what, for you? Well, what happened was I, first of all, I had to, because I drew, then I became an illustrator. Yeah. And then I was a graph, I was a designer. So these two women approached me. They had a, a magazine called The Spokeswoman. And it was a national magazine. But it was more like a newsletter than a magazine, and they wanted it to be more like a magazine. And so they approached me to design it. And once I did that, I was into it. You know, and then they moved to to the office near me, and uh, we started to work together. But I was always doing illustration and, and graphic design, and I would do it for not-for-profit. I was very strict about that. It had to be not-for-profit. Until I realized that not-for-profit made you work as hard and were as demanding and unpleasant as people who made a profit. And you, I would have made more money. But, you know, that came late, late in my mental growth. <laughs> you still had a little bit of your father in you, it sounds like. <laughs> right. I'm always interested in having this conversation with cartoonists who've been doing it for a while. Because now, uh, you know, a young person discovering comics almost seems like a realistic path. Uh, there's a, not only, you know, mainstream comic scene, but there's a very vibrant independent comic scene as right, well. Right. And, the, and those avenues are very clear, right? And there's a lot of uh, schools that teach. Right. I mean, that's a well. really new thing. When you're growing up and all you're seeing are the comics in the newspaper, it might not seem like such a realistic goal or career path. No. And, and it was really pretty much male. And they were adventure. Yeah. Uh, comics. And so it wasn't something that, I mean, I loved looking at them. That's how I learned to read. My mm. my parents would just give me the Sunday papers and, you know, you figure it out. And, you know, and I did. Um, when I started to do The Spokeswoman, I started to illustrate the articles. And when I started to, I, I think that's how cartoons come up. 
I started to think mm. of a cartoon, and I did my first cartoon for that magazine. And it just seemed normal that I would make that transition. I didn't, I, I didn't have characters that were the same all the time. I remember the first one. In fact, I could even show you the first one. It's um, a man and a woman are sitting at a table, and they have pie in front of them. Of course, it must be cherry pie, because that's my favorite. He has the bigger piece. And she points to something in the sky, and he turns his head, and she changes the pies. It didn't. It didn't need any language. You know, it was a wish fulfillment idea, which is that I, you know, feminists that women should get their bigger piece of the pie. Now, of course, I couldn't say it that way, but that's what I was feeling. You couldn't say it that way even in the context of a feminist magazine? You know, I don't think that we were so big on on getting the top job and getting to be chairman or, or be on the board or something like that. I think the rights were more basic that, that we wanted. I mean, I, I remember arguing in, in a meeting with, with some man from a credit card company that women wanted their own credit card. Women didn't have their own credit cards. So it was a pretty basic kind of You're thing. You're talking about just human rights. And no, and no one, you know, that seemed like incredible to people that we would want that. Yeah. Why not let a man take care of you? And often, you know, we, we would march in, you know, like um, bank accounts. You want your own bank account. And so we'd be marching in front of a bank. We go in and open an account and then close it just to make them irritated. I don't know how irritated they were, but that's what we did. And we'd be outside. Women would often not look at us, and that was really painful. But I, I did understand that they were frightened. What, what if they gave this up, this protection up, this security up, and nothing was there for them? So I was both angry at them, and, and, and I understood. And I had an individual kind of work. When you're talented in a certain way and people want what you can make, they sort of overlook the fact that you're the wrong sex. I mean, you know, they, I really feel that if men had not wanted to give me an opportunity to be in the car cartoons, I would not have been there. These guys looked at my stuff, they saw something in it, and they wanted it in their paper. They just didn't care that, you know, what my sex was. So there was never a question for you that you would be able to do that? I mean, it sounds like to some degree that's something that, whether intentionally or not, your your parents kind of imparted on you was the fact that, you know, you could be <laughs> your Anything. own person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly, yeah, my mother managed it, uh, even though, you know, she was a much more, you know, feminine, but because she was yeah. so quick. And my father fed me, you know, all the lines of some people are oppressed through no fault of their own, and mm. I absorbed that. I went with him to the little kid to join the union. So, I mean, I accompanied him with yes. pleasure in the car to join the union. Even independent of being a woman in that period, just the idea of being trying to be a cartoonist professional is something that a lot of parents would, <laughs> yeah. would balk at. I got a degree in painting. Hmm. A bachelor's degree in painting, and then I went. Then I got married, and I went to graduate school and got a master's in painting. and And then I went out and and got these kind of illustration yeah. jobs. I'm trying to think of, but I must have gotten divorced before that. Was your husband not having the whole you having a career thing? I no. I I think we just we're not wild about each other yeah. <laughs> somehow. You know that as it happens. You know. And he was he was uh, an academic, and I saw him in the last couple of years. He came to Chicago for an event, and he's sort of a 
real conservative. And it's kind of shocking, but that's 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 what he was. Oh, he, it's not a case of him just, a lot of people as they get older, they become more conservative. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he got yeah. to America, well, he's Hungarian, and um, he got here, and somehow he didn't like the way people protested, and he didn't like the way the students acted and how much they wanted. He, and, married, the, he married the wrong <laughs> woman. Did, you know, I remember somebody said to me, you're married to, you know, stuttering. <laughs> you're married to Paul? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it didn't last very long. But Seemed like a good idea at the time. At the time, you know, yeah. wonderful head of hair, you know. I mean, you know, he was a sociologist. I, I loved sociology. Yeah. Do you feel that you've become more conservative as you've gotten older? I don't think so. No. No. I mean, I, I kept up what I was by doing the strip. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I just, I can't believe some of the things. I, I just didn't have any idea that people actually read it. You know, I did it. I said whatever came into my head. And then when people wrote me ugly letters, I was like, what? Are you taking this seriously? Yeah. No. I think it's that disconnect of people not expecting to get something that serious through that that venue you know for a lot of people when they open up the sunday comics page they want escapism or they want something outside of all of that yeah where did i get the idea that i could write something <laughs> inside you know that would touch people i don't know was that was that there from the beginning yeah it seemed to yeah. be if you look at the early ones it's it's yeah. pretty much there and as soon as i saw that i could do uh political figures mm. then that came that came in Immediately. What do you mean you could use? I mean, I could do um, Bush and Reagan, and I could talk about uh, laws that were made that were anti-woman or... Did you get pushback from the publishers? I think the publishers were mainly afraid that I would say something... I would use toilet humor or something. I, mean, I think that it was their biggest fear in the world. Yeah. I think they didn't quite even understand the other things yeah. that I was doing. What is she saying about Arkansas? <laughs> you know. Every cartoonist I talk to of your generation or, you know, around the same age group, always the strip was always the dream. You know, that was always, that was the steady gig that you could get. That mm-hmm. was, that was, we were talking, you know, dating back to like the 60s when the underground comics movement was really starting. Sure, they were there, but the, the idea that anybody could actually... Make a make living. money, yeah. And, you know, and and but how many people, you know, like Bill Bill Griffith is, is is an example. But how many people were able to actually turn that into a regular strip? Not not too many. No, I think I, you know, I did it because I didn't know it was the impossible dream. Yeah, I didn't. I just did it. How do you get the ball rolling on that? I, you know, I can't even really. Oh, I know how it happened. I think I I did something that got the attention. Now I'm going to have to remember what it was of a war resistors league newspaper in new york and so when i got the attention of new york and they called me to interview me believe me how i stuttered because i'd never had someone call me to hear what what i had to say and then once once i realized that someone might be interested in what i had to say and it was a little bit different oh then i get the other call from a woman who just was the editor her name is Lindy Hess, because, of course, I remember that, of the Share Height book, The Height Report. Did you ever hear of that? I, no. No, it, it was a, a book about sex, women and sex. And it was like a runaway people. Went, you know, that poor woman was on television all the time. And I would watch her, and, she, and I think she was on drugs because she had not expected 
this to happen to her. And everybody wanted her on their show and wanted her to talk about women and sex. And she looked terribly tired, you know, but, but of course it was her, her moment and she took it. So Lindy called me and she said, I'd like to do a cartoon book just out of the blue. I mean, it, it wasn't like a cartoon strip. It was a book. She wanted to do a book. And I, I had this calendar that I had done for the spokeswoman. And so I sent that to her. She brought it to the guys on the committee. They were all middle-aged men. And they said, having a woman cartoonist is an oxymoron. And that was the end of it. Of course, that made me really crazy. But they were like, we're no. cool with this woman doing a book about sex. But because that's the okay. idea of a woman cartoonist, Doing... that's crazy. Crazy. So... How does that lead to the strip? So then I was emboldened. And uh, because I you know, had been written up in a New York <laughs> anti-war paper, it was like, wow. And uh... It's so crazy, though. It's funny. Because, I mean, you know, you're from Chicago. You're from a big city. But the idea that there's somebody far away who cares is, is It enough. is. It was very big that yeah. they cared in this sophisticated city. And I had such an idea of how, you know, how incredibly powerful they were mm. from my, you know, I mean, this is a big city. Yeah. And so I said to her, okay, uh, they won't do it. Over the weekend, find me either an agent or a publisher. And she found me St. Martin's Press. Pretty good. Pretty darn good. Yeah. I didn't know how good it was. <laughs> you just felt like you had momentum. Yeah, and it was like a fairy tale. Yeah. I, I found the, the shoe that fit. You get a publisher. But again, I still, I feel like we're still not quite there. So how, how does this... Well, and then he, he looks at the, the cartoons that I made in that little yearly calendar. And he's a senior editor. He's young, but he's a senior editor. And he goes into his meeting and he shows them and he said, we take it like it is or we don't take it. Mm. And they took it. And then I got my first book, which was called I'm, Tr I'm in Training to be Tall and Blonde. Did it occur to you how rare of a thing that probably was or? No. No. Not until later. Right. Not until you actually started getting more pushback. Yeah. Until I saw that I was so different. How do you actually end up in the paper? I must have brought it. Well, because I was in the town of the Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times, yeah. and they were really big papers. And I, I, I think this is going to be, this is hidden in the dark recesses of my mind. But <laughs> I got to see the managing editor. Might have been the Sun-Times. But I wasn't right for the Sun-Times because they were more of a... Um, a working class mm -hmm. newspaper, and then the kind of humor I had was not really theirs. But you were able to take a meeting with a publisher and show them the book that you yeah, have, right? Yeah, so I, I showed it, and um, and then they the the Sun Times dropped me because hmm. they really the people didn't like it at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not I am not a beloved cartoonist, so um, so I um, I got a call. I mean, this is so olden days. I get a call from a man who says, would you like to come to the Tribune? I said, so you waited until I was dropped from the Sun-Times. He said, well, that's the gentlemanly thing to do. Okay. So no one's ever going to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> I found when it comes to jobs, I tend to get offers when I have a job. And, and that, that oh, annoys okay. me. Oh, okay. So that is not such a... And it's those times when I've, you know, I've been, because uh, I'm in publishing and I've been laid off a few times where I'm in between jobs, then the offers aren't forthcoming. That's when you want them. The yeah, most, you need you know? them. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that actually sounds nice that it's unfortunate that you got dropped, but that somebody was there, there. waiting to pick yeah. you up because that's the kind of thing for a lot of people, especially as, as they're first starting their career, that sort of disappointment, um, which is par for the course. It, it just comes with 
a creative job, but for a lot of people that would be perhaps enough to make them stop. Mm -hmm. But somebody was there. Yeah, to pick me up. I mean, that that's the, like the hope for the world is that there are some people who are not so attached to the benefit of their gender that they can't see anything else. And I felt really grateful to them because they just didn't think about it. He just thought he liked it. It wasn't the idea that you could appeal to to female readers. I don't think so. I never heard that mentioned because I don't think it came into their mind. There were a bunch of guys sitting around deciding who was going to be in the newspaper. Was it a good fit for you to have deadlines, to have something, to know how much output you needed to do on a given week? I think maybe the study part yeah. was very nice. And structure is nice when you're yeah. an artist, right? That's not something that everybody has. Yeah. And and having to get, before that, having to get uh, design jobs, mm. you know, let's say stationary or an illustration for stationery or for a book is a more difficult thing yeah. to get. And every day a strip appears. This new book, was this something that you had been, that had been brewing for a while? Had you wanted to work on something longer for some time? I think that that once once I, 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 I saw that I could make something about the neighborhood that yeah. was very appealing to me because it was so different. So different than Sylvia. It was my family, and it was me, and it was my growing up, and I think that was really appealing to me. And and remembering was appealing, that I could remember it and shape it. Is this how you're going to work now? Is this something you're interested in continuing and in, in doing some of these longer-form books? Or what are you working on at the moment? No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I wish, you know, I, I like the perform. Yeah, what am I working on at the moment? I finished this book, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now I'm doing the part which will be over. I mean, you're you're talking to me about the book, and that will be over. And then there'll there'll be that moment when you think, and what am I doing now? What do I want to do now? Suddenly, so, so, you know, it's like, could I be an actress at this age where I can hardly remember someone's phone number? You know, so it's it's, it's 2018. No one can remember anyone's phone number. So oh, you're good. on okay. equal footing. Right. Now. Well, if I just understand how to put it in. Yeah. Are you actually thinking about that? Are you are you thinking about just trying something completely new at this point? Yeah, I wasn't thinking about another book. I was thinking about performance and how much pleasure there is. Yeah. In standing in front of an audience, and of course, I never did a kind of performance where there was a lot that I that I had to worry about. I'm not on on stage, you know, even in a comedy club. I'm 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 in a a venue that happens um the third Monday of every month, mm -hmm. you know. And so there's really nothing much riding on it, but it appeals to me. Yeah. Was the act of producing this book pleasurable? Yeah, the drawing because once you start drawing, once I, th I think I really like writing more yeah. because if you think of yourself as uh, an illustrator or an artist, it's hard because you're you're critical of what of what you're doing. It is you know, and I'm not a careful planner. What I do is I keep doing it, I keep drawing something until suddenly it becomes that things that I want. It obviously is much looser than your strip yeah and were you just experimenting with a different style how did it end up on the page like that it's it's the more my illustration style mm. than than it is the yeah. strip because it didn't have to be repeated exactly and yeah it just felt more because it was so it was it was tied to the imagination to my remembering and to my remembering people and and stories i, th I think it's got to do with stories
always. Do you feel like this might be kind of the the last of its kind for you? I mean, you're you're not as interested in storytelling in that way or or drawing. It sounds like. Are you done drawing for the foreseeable future? I don't. You know, this this is really a time in my life when I didn't I didn't imagine that this would happen. I I you know something will happen. I mean, somebody will say something. And I'll think, oh. Why didn't I think of that? You know, you didn't imagine what would happen. That that um, that the book would come together and that it would yeah. appeal to people in this way. Yeah, which it has. It was one of those situations when you were working on it, and it just felt like it would never be done. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And it would never be long enough. And but then once it 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 gets that certain point where you see that there there's an there's a storyline to it, and and you're going to be taken along with it. Did you feel after having worked on the strip for so long and, and working on pieces that are, obviously they're still around, but it, it is much more ethereal, right, working on a daily strip, that you wanted to put something more substantial into the world? I don't think I had that view that I'm doing something that, yeah. you know, um, that is substantial and it tells a part of history of a of a, a town that is no more and stuff like that. No, I just thought it would really be fun to see these people again yeah and to tell their story again and and that the stories were so good and i was so i was really so happy that they came to me and even that there were some you, you know like i i had this idea that i could trick the woman who lived upstairs you know who's the bad girl in her heart the virginal bad girl <laughs> yeah cuz she i mean she says in the book i always loved men and and really that's how she was she really yeah. did Love men. And I thought that when I got to be a little bit older, I could take her out to lunch and she would tell me the true story. Maybe I was meant to be a reporter. I mean, the, mm. the, the true story of what was she thinking to be in her parents' house and, and to allow someone to take nude pictures of her? What? What in the world was she thinking? And I wanted her to tell me, well, she just looked at me and I was just a little girl to her. I mean, she had tutored me in reading. I could buy her as many lunches as I wanted, but I was never going to hear the true story of it. Yeah, a lot of songwriters talk about it. A lot of painters and writers talk about this idea of almost channeling someone or something. I mean, it sounds like you were doing that, that you were really, you felt like you were, these people are almost inhabiting you. Yeah. Yeah, I was really, yeah, they were the story and, 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 and they were going to tell that story. I mean, you could see that in that way. Because I don't see it that they captured me and wouldn't let me go, and I was under a spell. But I do see that that it seemed natural that I would tell their story and my story and remember it. Do you feel like you have any of those stories left in you? I think I, I must because it can't be that only that time. And and because there were you know my my there were my my grandparents and there were other people around, and I could investigate their stories too. But I, I don't, you know, I, I really, I don't know, except that story and writing, actual physical writing seems more interesting to me than drawing and writing. So it's the writing that I, and probably the speaking. There you go. That was the absolutely wonderful Nicole Hollander recorded that one at her home in Chicago. Her latest book is called We Ate Wonder Bread. It's out now on Fantagraphics. Highly recommend you pick it up. 
Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Jack at Fanagraphics for helping set up that conversation. Thanks, you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. Please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. If you've got any feedback, it's rwellcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rwellcast.tumblr.com. That's about it for this week, so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.